Well, let's turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 16. Today, we conclude the Easter season as we observe with the church calendar. And next week will be Pentecost Sunday and changes seasons. So this will be the last time you see that particular introduction. But the resurrected king is still alive, no doubt. Today's message, the passage came from the lectionary, which is a series of scriptures that churches around the world participate and use each Sunday, but it's not directly related to the resurrection, nor is it directly related to Mother's Day, but it is because with Jesus's resurrection, it changes every aspect of our personality. And today's message certainly applies to those who are mothers, and I know this because it applies to fathers, and it applies to human beings also. We're going to look at a story from Acts chapter 16, starting with verse 16. The title of my message is this, Right Words, Wrong Spirit. Right Words, Wrong Spirit. Acts 16, starting with verse 16, says it this way. Once as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit of prediction. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune-telling. As she followed Paul and us, she cries out, These men who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation are the slaves of the Most High God. Now, I want you to notice verse 17. What she said was true. This is true. Jesus is the way to God. These men who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation are the slaves of the Most High God. Verse 18, and she did this for many days. But Paul was greatly aggravated and turning to the spirit said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out right away. Now there's some obvious things that are happening here that I'll touch on, but are not necessarily the point I believe the Holy Spirit wants to bring up today. First of all, it's obvious here a demon spirit is at work. A demon spirit is at work in this girl. And so Paul, when he spoke, he spoke to this, he didn't speak to this person, he spoke to the spirit. She was involved in fortune telling. And we know this, and I want you, I want to be clear about this. If, if you're involved in fortune telling, you need to stop because that's demonically inspired. Those are the obvious things that jump out. Obvious but important. I don't believe Christians can be possessed by demons, but they can be influenced by demons. And we need to be aware of that, and we need to be aware of spiritual warfare. But I want to use this story today, uh, metaphorically, to talk about me and you. When we say the right things, like verse 17, but we have the wrong spirit. By wrong spirit here, I'm not necessarily talking about demonic spirits, so that could apply if they influence us. But I'm talking about having a spirit that doesn't mirror, does not reflect the spirit of Jesus. When we have the right spirit, we're operating in the heart of Jesus. We're operating in the ways of Jesus. We're reflecting the gospel. We're reflecting the scripture. We're reflecting the biblical narrative. And that's important. It's important that we do that. But we can 
say the right thing, but have the wrong spirit. I'm going to tell you how I know. I know this is because I've done it. I, I grew up in a great church. I had wonderful parents. I had the advantage of knowing the truth from my earliest memory. And I had this knowledge in my head. And sometimes that this knowledge that I had and this correct information and this truth I had in my head, um, I didn't have the depth of spirit to use that truth the way God wanted me to. Now, let me point this out. We need to stand for truth like never before. I'm not talking about a wishy-washy kind of lukewarm Christianity that doesn't stand on God's word or doesn't stand for the truth. But I am going to, I'm going to suggest something today that contextually in our generation, in the year 2016 and in America, what I'm about to tell you I don't like, but I believe it is a fact. People care more about our tone than they care about truth. This is the type of people we are today. The type of people we are is that we don't look for objective truth. Now, what is objective truth? Objective truth is truth that is not swayed by our mood, not swayed by our personality, not swayed by um, cultural trends. Objective truth are truths that stand the test of time, that are true in every generation, that are true in every circumstance, that are true no matter where you are or what you're doing. That's what objective truth is. We live in a culture that doesn't believe in objective truth. Our culture, we believe truth is whatever you want truth to be. And, and that's impossible. Truth has to come from the outside. Truth can't come from the inside. And so as biblical Christians, we believe that the church, Jesus himself, and the, the apostles after him and disciples since have established the 66 books of scripture to be our objective truth. Where God speaks through the scripture, he speaks to us. And what's great about that is, is that that truth is so much bigger than me. Because, see, I used to have opinions about things that I felt strongly about, but I don't feel that way anymore. Notice what I'm emphasizing there. I don't feel that way anymore. Um, I used to have views that were very immature, I have a feeling I have some views today that will change in my future. But let me tell you what will not change is God's word. It stands alone. God's word is much older than our nation. God's word is so much bigger than our analysis. God's word is stable, reliable, trustworthy. It's objective truth. It's truth that is not dependent upon our mood or personality. It is Revealed by him. Now, this truth of God's word revealed to us, it's important that we stand for it. It's important that we are beacons of light, beacons of truth, that we let people know what God said, what God called sin is sin, what God calls holy is holy. And the church has to stand for that. But here's our concern for our generation. People will not care what we say if we don't have the right tone. Because it's true. People care more about tone than truth. If you get the right tone, then and only then may they listen to the truth that we have. So 
I'm going to suggest three areas that we need to be aware of having the right words and the right spirit. Here are areas that were challenged to have the right words but the wrong spirit. Here's the first one, and I've already illustrated it, standing for truth that we need to do. Ephesians 4.15 says it this way. It's a very important scripture for us to remember. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. The Bible talks about speaking the truth, but to do, do so in the right spirit, to do so in the spirit of love. That's really hard to do because if I believe something is the truth, and I've carefully formed my opinion, or I've even carefully formed uh, this thought uh, through, through the tradition of the church, through the establishment of God's word, and I know that this is true. When I know this is true, and if someone else doesn't agree with me, it's very bothersome. And so it is that when we speak for the truth, and when we have an opinion, it's really easy to get angry at people who don't share that same perspective. Speak the truth in love. I, I had a sermon sent to me by a couple of different people, by a pastor I respect, and it was about one of the social issues of our day. And I was asked to watch this sermon. It, it was a video sermon, and I watched it a couple of times. And I pretty, I think I agreed with every word this pastor said. It was really, really good truth, really biblically sound. But there was something about it that just didn't set that well with me. And I was bothered because I'm, I'm aware of what I've already told you, that we're just, we're affected by tone. And, and I'm thinking, I know I'm taking notes. This is true. This is from the Bible. This is true. Why is it that I'm not enjoying this? I had the opportunity to hear that very same pastor give the very same message live to, to a group of pastors, to a group of Christians. And he gave this message, and again, the content was outstanding, but I wasn't enjoying it. And I started thinking, why is it? And I realized, at least this is what God showed me. He didn't show me to uh, tell him, but he just showed it for my own preaching, that because he was so passionate about the subject, he was very frustrated with culture. And it came across kind of like this, man, I, people need to understand this, and people don't get this today, and na 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 and it was frustrating. He was frustrated. And, 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 and you know, he was, he was very much, his um, brow was, was furrowed here, if that's what you call that, and he was just, had this kind of tone about him, like, can't people see? No, 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 no. And he's just going like this, just frustrated, frustrated, and irritated. And the whole tone of the sermon was that. And, of course, the crowd he was speaking to completely agreed with them. So they're kind of egging him on. They're saying, yeah, that's right, that's right. And he's getting more frustrated and frustrated. And it was just, it just felt dark. It just felt heavy. Even though I, I agreed with the content, I didn't feel love for that sermon. And, and this is... I don't know this man's motives. I don't even know him personally. But I'm sure he's a loving person. But in this instance, in my opinion, love didn't come through with what he said because he was so frustrated. He was so irritated. It's just so just, ah, coming through. Tone matters. Now, I want to address an issue 
as an illustration to you. First of all, I want to thank every single one of you for being at church today. I'm, I'm dead serious. Every single one of you are valuable. And that's why whether you were here 20 minutes early or 20 minutes late or whether someone walks through the door right now, I'm just glad you're here. So thanks for coming, right? Now there's a little bit of an issue we have here. And I wouldn't even say it's an issue because I'm not even frustrated about it anymore. Not many of you are here when the service starts, okay? It just, there's just not that many of you here when service starts at the beginning. And we've talked about this through the years. How can we get people here early and all that? And I finally concluded this is the only way we'll get people here early. When so many people are coming that you want your particular seat, then you'll start showing up early. So that's why I'm looking forward to growing more. I've seen that in all types of sectors of life. So, hey, it's cool. You're here. I'm here. I'm just glad to have someone to preach, preach to. So no one, no one, see, I know you're, I'm setting the tone right now, right? I'm setting the right tone. I don't want us to be sensitive. All right, let me give you two ways. Let's say I'm going to address this issue of getting to church on time. I'm going to do it two different ways. Okay, here, here is option number one. You know when church starts? Do you know that this place was not even a fifth of the way full? Let me tell you something, people. I'm telling you this. If you had tickets to the symphony, if you had tickets to a sports game, if you had reservations at one of the best restaurants in Nashville, you wouldn't be late. You wouldn't be on time. You'd be early. Can I tell you that every week the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is in this place and he deserves us to be on time? And you bunch of wimps, you better get your butts here. You guys are ruining my illustration now. Because <laughs> you weren't supposed to like that. Well, here's what would happen. And, and, and what, what typically happens is if something like that occurs, and I'm, I know I've done that in the past, um, the people who were here 20 minutes early are like, yeah, I'm irritated at the other people too. But what would happen is in future weeks, like it happens to everybody, if something happens, you're running a little bit late and, and you're like, oh, we're not going to make it to church on time today. And you think, man, that pastor's going to be ticked at me and he's going to give me a dirty look as I walk in. Let's just not go or let's just go to this, some big church where we can slip in and no one knows us. Right? That's what could happen. All right, let me give you illustration number two. Illustration number two, how we could address this. Hey, guys, I want to talk to you all about something. Do you know that when most visitors show up to church, they come 20 minutes early? Sometimes I come in here and nobody is here and visitors walk in and they think, oh my gosh, this church must be no good. No one's here. And I have to talk to people and say, hey, five minutes afterwards, this place will be three quarters full. Just hang in there with us. And so here's the deal. I know everyone's late. Stuff happens. But if we could, some of you who are able could think about making an effort to be in the sanctuary before service starts, what would happen, that would make visitors feel more comfortable. And then the worship team who works really hard on that first song, um, they would feel better and it would be more exciting for them. And then here's the deal. Punctuality, what it does is it honors God and it honors people. So if we can all just step up the game a little bit, and let's all try to be a little more punctual, I think God would be honored and I think people would be honored. How does that sound? All right? All right, so thanks. So even though I'm not judging from your applause here, which one do you like better? I, I, I'm just going to say that, that most of us are going to respond, most of us in this context are going to respond better to the second part. 
Now, interestingly enough, after the first service, I had someone come up to me and said something. It was a joke, but it's actually truth. He, said, he came up to me and he said, I actually like option number one because it reminds me of the military. And, and, and we, but I said, you know, there's something true about that because after World War II, when in the Korean conflict, when most Americans, American men at least, had been in the war, they were used to the military, they understood authority, and they were kind of used to being chewed on a little bit. Uh, now uh, that um, we don't, most of us, including me, have not served in the military, um, you know, we're just, we, we, we like our self-esteem to be lifted up. We like for people to make us feel good as they're instructing us. Here's what I'm trying to say is it's contextual. Because truth, it's objective. If it's truth is just totally objective that it stands alone despite us, this has nothing to do with truth. It has everything to do with presentation. This little demon-possessed woman spoke the truth, but she spoke it with the wrong spirit. She spoke it with the wrong spirit, and that did not advance the gospel. Peter said this. He wrote this, honor the Messiah as Lord in your hearts. This is chapter 3, verse 15. Always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Again, this is talking about Christian education, about knowing theology, about reading, about having an opinion. Be ready to give a defense. But verse 16, however, do this with gentleness and respect. How many know we need more gentleness and respect? This, this came 2,000 years ago, this was written, and it is, we need this in our nation right now, in our context, gentleness and respect. And here's the reason why. Keeping your conscience clear so that when you are accused, those who denounce your Christian life will be put to shame. So there is no guarantee that if we get the right tone, we won't be persecuted. There's no guarantee of that because people will still persecute when we stand for God's truth. But it will mean this, that in the midst of the persecution or in the midst of the social, uh, being socially ostracized or in the midst of whatever consequence we may face for standing up for God's truth is I believe somebody who knows us is going to say, that's a good woman and that's a good man and he's a good person and she's a good person because of gentleness and because of respect. Tone matters. And I believe that the tone that we have in this Christian culture when so many people are angry at the church, angry at pastors, angry at organized religion, that our tone needs to certainly reflect the sense of, of gentleness and respect. You know, preachers like to bash social media until they need to promote something they want people to come to. But we say, oh, social media is so bad. And like anything, television, cars, whatever it is, it has good and bad, doesn't it? And I, I have thought about giving up social media a couple of times. I'm talking about Facebook and Twitter, LinkedIn, stuff like that. Um, and and I'm, I haven't because I've concluded that the positives for me far outweigh the negatives. And social media is great. First of all, I can get information out to people in a way I never could before. Uh, and, and I use it often as a ministry. And during the week, if you're not a Facebook friend with me, um, you know, two or three times a week I try to say something to encourage people. 
And then I like connecting with people because I'm a networker and I love, I, I have a hard time letting go of friends and all that. So I love to be able to take, to, you know, to keep in touch with friends and, and see what's going on. And then I have three incredible kids. So I'm honest, I like to brag on my kids. And then I like to see pictures of your pets. I do. I mean, I just feel so much closer when I see pictures of your pets. So see all the good things that happen through social media. But here's the problem. Social media can be a platform for image management if we're not careful. And we carefully construct, not, not communicate who we are, but try to communicate our image or manage our image. And we may have the right words, but may have the wrong spirit behind the words. So, for example, if on my sister's birthday, if I ever said, um, I just want to say my sister is the coolest person and she's great and happy birthday to you. You're wonderful. And then I push send and then I would tell Beth, man, Shelby, she gets on my nerves. I'll tell you what. <laughs> but it made me look, it made me look like a good brother by posting that on the internet. You see, you see the difference? Now, that was a safe example because, because obviously I wouldn't put that if I didn't mean it. At least I hope I wouldn't. This is where I believe God wants us to have. Right words, right spirit. Not right words, let me put something on social media to impress you, but, but really my heart not be behind it. What I'm talking about here is the second thing you can write down is image management. Areas where we can have the right words but the wrong spirit. And this happens in the church all the time. Some of this is just habits, okay? So I don't want you to be over paranoid, but you know, I could tell Beth, I don't really feel like going to church today. Wouldn't it be nice to have one of those weeks that we could just sleep in? If, if we weren't the bosses, we'd call in sick today. Yeah, right, no doubt. Then I get to church. Bless God, it's so good to be in the house of God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I'd rather be in the house of God anywhere else. How about you folks? Okay, I mean, why can't I just say, hey, yeah, I'm glad to be here. Can I be honest with you? It was tough coming here this morning, but I'm really glad I'm here now, and thank you for being here. Um, See, the right words was it is good to be in the house of God, but if I didn't have an authentic spirit behind them, do you see where there is a disconnect? Then, then we're, we're managing our image instead of being honest before God. Now, I write my sermons usually quite a few days ahead of when I deliver them. And then the illustrations, the illustrations, I'm kind of working at them through the weekend, okay? So for this point, I didn't really have an illustration yet, but unfortunately, I created my own yesterday. <laughs> now, uh, my, my youngest son, Lincoln, sitting on the front row over there, he hardly ever gets in trouble, but he loves sermon illustrations, so he always like, Dad, when he used to not be in here, he would ask, did you talk about me in church today? Then my other son, if I talked about him in church, I mean, he may be in counseling in 10 years for that, so... <laughs> I don't do that. So, so th this is Lincoln. So don't, please don't say anything to the other one. He's, he's, in, he's working right now. Don't say anything to Luke. But Lincoln likes these illustrations. Well, Lincoln hardly ever gets in trouble. But um, he, he was, you know, I wasn't really happy with his behavior yesterday. We were driving to a family dinner. And I might have told him to quit using his mouth in an, in a pro in, and the words I used weren't completely appropriate. I told him to, you know, Shut his mouth. And 
you know, I know that we, we're not really, the kids aren't in here. This isn't kid friendly, but I said a word I'm not proud of. And if there are kids in here, never, ever say this, but it was a word that's inappropriate for me to tell you, but the word had H and E and a couple of hockey sticks after it. So <laughs> as soon as I said that, Beth looked at me and she went, huh, Lincoln's going to tell on you in children's church. <laughs> Because he would. He has. And he will again. Pastor Chip has come to me before. And he said, you wouldn't believe what Lincoln said. I'm like, well, let's, come on, bring the punishment upon me. So when Beth turned to me and laughed at me and said, he's going to tell on you in children's church, or 4.6, my immediate reaction was to get into image management. So I wanted to form a little speech to him and say, hey, hey, Lincoln, now, you know, dad's not perfect, but, you know, the whole, the, we don't have to share that with the whole church because, uh, you know, we don't want to cause the children to stumble. <laughs> so I was getting ready to give him a speech like that, but then I thought, you know, maybe I just shouldn't have said it in the first place at all. And maybe I shouldn't teach my son to try to protect my image. I'm sure he has before. Um, instinctively, but maybe I shouldn't do that. And um, so I didn't say anything. And now I'm telling you, I'm telling on myself now. Here's the point. In that moment, and you've been there before, we get more concerned about what the people of the church think about us than what God thinks about us. All right? Here's a verse that has shaped my life that I go back to over and over again. Galatians 1.10 says it this way. For I, am I now trying to win the favor of people or God? Or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a slave of Christ. So I'm trying to learn, trying to learn to care more about what God thinks than what you think of me. I'm getting there. Now having said all that, before we you know, abandon all social customs. <laughs> there are things we just do because we, we need to do it. So there's certain expectations with our jobs. In your job, there's an expectation for you to be friendly. So when someone's taking my order at the restaurant, you know, I don't like it when they have that attitude. What do you want? Like, I'm not going to have this job much longer and just give me your order because I'm too good to really serve you, but what do you want? The more expensive the restaurant, that's usually how the people act. I like it, you know, when people are friendly. So sometimes when, when, when we're doing our job, we got to bring our game, okay? we we got to be friendly, and I don't think that's being fake. Here in the South, we expect people to be friendly. So sometimes you, you just got to do what you're supposed to do. That's part of social norms. That's part of social customs. And you get through that morning, you get through that shift, you get through that conversation, and so I get that. The problem is when that perpetually comes becomes part of our life, then there's a disconnect between our heart and who we really are and what we say. There's a disconnect to who we really are and who we project. And so those of us who are good with people, this is a challenge. You know, from my earliest age, I remember I was good with people. And I figured out as a kid how to tell people what they wanted to hear to make them happy. And that served me well um, most of my life. And the problem with that is, with everything, there's good and bad. And so I've got to watch out, you know, not to, not to use flattery. I've got to watch out, Joey, not to tell you what you want to hear, but to tell you what God wants you to hear. I've got to, 
because Joey, not that, yeah, anyway, that was, that, he just crossed my path. He's, we've never had a conversation like that. Um, so I wasn't, you know, cleansing my soul there or anything. We've got to work on this to be authentic, to, to give the right words, but have the right spirit. I mean, some of the younger pastors now that are like five, ten years younger than me, these guys are funny because they're always like, I say, hey, how's it going? How you guys doing? And they're like, I love you. I don't really know how to respond because I'm not used to doing that as much. We're not as free to do that, so I'm, I'm learning how to do that. Like I say to love you to my friends like once a year, maybe, something like that. But, but then now, now I'm learning to do that, and, and I'm learning this and that saying I love you is a good habit, and it's good to say, but isn't it better when it's not just uh, something we develop? It comes from our heart. And, and I'm telling you that two weeks ago I preached a sermon. And this, this was crazy. It was a, to me, it was a base hit sermon on John 16, a new command I give you uh, to love one another. And I've never had it happen to where I preached a sermon. And it was like I was sitting out there with you. And my life has been changed since that sermon, I believe. I mean, two weeks, how can you say your life's been changed in two weeks, right? But, but that, that scripture, the new command I give you, love one another, is, is haunting me in a good way right now. It, it's demanding changes in my life. It's demanding me to watch my attitudes. So the point is this. Is, here's, here's the last point, I guess, is required task. Required task is where we have to watch that we have not the right words but the wrong spirit. So let's be honest. There's niceties we have to give. I don't want you to take the sermon and become rude just because your heart's not in your language. Be polite and be civil. And I think, I personally believe civility is a good sign in a society. That's why I hate what's happened to our country right now. I hate the lack of civility. It, it's, it's a sign of our lack of godliness. So be nice, be polite, and put the love behind it. I'm going to ask Beth and Abby to come up. And ushers, would you begin to position yourself? When it comes to our task, the stuff we feel like we have to do, ushers, you can distribute, uh, we're going to get ready to distribute communion. The stuff that we have to do, let's do it to God. Let's do it for God. Let's do it for the kingdom. Colossians 3, verse 23 says this, whatever you do, do it enthusiastically. That's something done for the Lord and not for men. Come on, whatever you do, come on, let's live as people who are living from the heart. That we do it with all of our heart. We do it enthusiastically. And, and we have a custom here, and, and I haven't figured out how to break this. I see, how you doing, Chase? How you doing? You know, how you doing, Darren? Uh, doing good. And, and I'm not always asking you how you're doing, okay? I'm not always doing that. But so, so I'm trying to figure out a better way to, way to greet. Let's, let's greet each other better. And, and, and it's just a habit. It's kind. But, but I, when I ask Steve, how you doing? I want to know how Steve's doing. I, I want to... I wanna, I want to live authentically from my heart with my words. Do you see how this can change us? Everything I do, the way, that I greet, the way I greet people, do it unto the Lord. The way, the way I deal with my customers, do it unto the Lord. The way I coach my team, do it unto the Lord. The way I talk to my wife, do it unto the Lord. Every single thing I do, do it unto the Lord. Do it for him, even in the required task. And so it is that Mother's Day, 
You are socially required to call your mom. You are. Don't text her. Call your mom. Even if your spouse is making you do it and you don't feel like doing it, ask the Lord, Lord, help me to do it, to honor my mom from the heart. And there's dozens of things every day that are stuff we're just supposed to do to be a gracious and civil society. And as God's people, let's learn to to do those expected social norms, but to do them unto the Lord with compassion. Right words, right spirit. Let's not be of those people who are full of truth, but have the wrong spirit about us. Because I'm gonna tell you this, I've known men, and there's no one that you know, so this is no hidden message about anyone that you know that I know and all that, but I've known some men who have seminary degrees and all the education and all the information, but there's no power in their life because they don't love. All it is is a resounding sound. It's just like a noise. It's just a bunch of Christian theology that has no heart behind it. And and it's just noise and it doesn't mean anything. I say, why not both? Knowledge and power, the word and power, love and truth. Let it come together in the name of Jesus because it's a force that can't be stopped. You see, when we love people and don't tell them the truth, we're not really loving them. All we're doing is making them feel good. All we're doing is making them feel good in that interaction. So it's not loving to people to never stand for the truth. It's not loving to people to never tell them where the truth is. But when the truth and love come together, do you know what you get? Jesus. That's what you get. The truth and love are companions. This is not in your notes, but and, and probably not on the screen, but Acts 4.13. Some of the disciples encountered Jesus. Excuse me, got in trouble for doing Jesus' work. And listen to, to what Acts 4.13 says. When they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and knew that they had been with Jesus. Have you ever just been around someone that you knew had been with Jesus? So what's the answer? What is the answer to have the right words and the right spirit? Are you ready for a deep theological truth? Are you in your seats? You ready to get blown away? You ready to just hear something just incredible? All right, here it is. Time with Jesus. Time with Jesus, that's it. Time with Jesus. As a parent and then as a youth pastor for 10 years, I used to tell the students in my youth group, this phrase, you've used it too. You are who you hang around. You are who you spend time with. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Our, our closest friend group, group our, our closest friend groups form who we are. So people I spend time with, I start picking up their attitudes. I start sometimes picking up their accents. I pick up their mannerisms. That's why if you want to be a Jesus person, you've got to spend time with Jesus. It's not just so much just reading about Jesus. It's spending time in his presence, soaking up his presence. A lot of us have tried to produce spiritual fruit through effort, uh, through reading a book and trying to mimic the book, through just trying to uh, rotely share truth with people as if truth is going to just change people. Truth will change people when there's power behind the truth. And that's why Jesus said these words himself in John 15. Remain in me and I in you. I love this scripture. I use this scripture a lot when I preach. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. Think about this for a second. Have you ever been 
in, in, in yesteryear we used to do this on evangelism crusades where we'd say that everyone would make us feel guilty that the, the world was didn't know God. Each one, reach one. Let's go out and witness. And we're like, oh, I better go out and witness because I'm the watchman and I feel really guilty. And it's like a really awkward. Uh, Destiny, if you died right now, would you go to heaven? Uh, here's three reasons. And, and no power to it. No power to it. Because if there's not prayer, if there's not time in the presence of God, that's what changes people's lives. It's truth and power. It's the Holy Spirit anointing and empowering Aaron and preparing destiny. And then God gets the glory and it starts coming together. So here's what I'm trying to say is, I don't know what you need from God. If you need a, a breakthrough in your marriage, if you need your business to turn around, if you just need depression to be lifted, I know there's not easy solutions to, to all of these complex things and there's steps and things we can help you with, but I can tell you where you can start is time with Jesus. That's where you can start. That's where you can start because this is what's gonna happen. I can be in the anointing right now and, and be... I think I'm preaching a good sermon. Do you like in the sermon? Okay, that was totally fishing for compliments. Sorry about that. Um, I, I could be preaching this great sermon, and then tomorrow I could sleep in a little bit, not really get around to my devotions, and Tuesday we could have a really busy day and not have my devotions, and then Wednesday I'm really not in the mood to have my devotions. Then Thursday I can be a complete jerk. In the anointing on Sunday, Thursday complete jerk. Why? Because I'm not connected to the vine. This is what it's about. It's about being in the presence of the Lord. It's about enjoying the presence of Jesus and who he is.